Well, we are in a sermon series about the family of God, and I kicked it off that first week by calling you to consider something that has fallen out of fashion in our day among Christians, to actually stop dating the church, put a ring on it by saying, I do to one local church, and officially joining, for better or worse, in sickness and in health, in riches and in poverty. Not because churches want to boost their membership, because I told you, if these messages cause you to roll out of here and find a place where you can truly commit, I would be pleased. Because we believe the Bible teaches it, it's not for church leaders to feel better about larger numbers, it's for your own good. Because I said, I gave you some reasons why you should join a church, but one of the top reasons I said was when you join a local church, It moves you out of fuzzy land, which we love to live in, into the nitty-gritty specifics of serious spiritual growth on two levels. Number one, it says that you're willing to submit to a specific group of spiritual leaders in your life. It's not, well, who... Who's helping you? Who are you accountable to? I don't know. I just roll around to different churches and I listen to Matt Chandler online. Wonderful. Good Bible teaching. No accountability. No shepherding. No real help. Number two, it says you're willing to commit to sacrificially loving a specific group of believers. Not just, well, and and that's harder to stay with the same group once you decide, I don't really like her. Welcome to the family of God. When you go home for Christmas, I bet there's some relatives, you're like, I wish they didn't have the same last name I did, but here we are. (laughs) Same in the church family. You didn't get to pick everybody. They were there when you got there. So this grows you a lot more than just doing old country buffet church and rolling through the community, choosing and picking and leaving what you don't like. And so we jumped into Hebrews 13 to flesh out, if you're saying, well, what would it look like to love a specific group of believers? What would it look like to submit to a specific group of leaders So we went to Hebrews 13 and we fleshed out last week a little more. What would it look like to love sacrificially a specific group of believers? Now today I want to go back to the same chapter and show you, well, what would it look like to submit to a specific group of spiritual leaders? Go to Hebrews chapter 13 in your Bibles. And for the sake of time, the first six verses were last week about loving other believers. I'm going to jump right in on verse 7 where he turns our attention to leaders. Beginning in verse seven, Hebrews 13, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by Grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the holy priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. He's contrasting old covenant under the law worship and sacrifice and how they sought to be right with God to this glorious new covenant that's all about Jesus who is Better, with a better sacrifice. Verse 12, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here, 
We have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So let's answer that second question now. What would it look like, Brad, to submit to a specific group of spiritual leaders in a local church? Well, I wish I didn't have to do this, but it's worth noting. Might seem like a no-brainer, but it's worth noting in this passage, three times he makes reference to spiritual leaders. This is not, though people would like to say it is and would like it to be that way, oh, Jesus is our leader. There's no real specific earthly leader. We just all make decisions together. Let me know how that works out. And that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches in this passage, and it's not what the Bible teaches other places in Scripture. And it doesn't fit with God's thinking and design for our world. God is not against authority. God is a God of order, not chaos. And so when you see the Scriptures, you actually see that despite sinfulness of human beings, despite our world being broken, God still instituted and put structure in place with authorities and leaders. You see it in government. He tells us in Romans 13 to submit to the civil authorities even when they're evil. And you see it in the workplace, employee, employee, employer, employee relationships. Don't just work hard when they're watching you, but when they're not even watching... You see it in the home, you see it in church. God is not against authority and against leaders. Our world is much better for the sake of his structure and leadership. So, with that in place, well, another example of, you go to 1 Timothy chapter three, don't go there, but I'm just gonna tell you. You see Paul instructing young Timothy. So Paul went around planting churches, three missionary journeys. He planted churches, he would raise up elders, and then he would begin to write them. You see him writing young Timothy who he left behind in Ephesus to become the first pastor of that local church. And he gives Timothy a list in 1 Timothy 3 of qualifications as to who they should choose for elders and deacons. Leaders, structure, authority, not just, oh, we've all got the Holy Spirit, we all love Jesus, we'll just, it's equal, we'll all work this out. Not what you see in scripture. So then what would it look like to submit to a specific group of spiritual leaders. Well, this is certainly not exhaustive by any means. 
But simply from this one chapter alone, in Hebrews chapter 13, I want to show you what I think are some really helpful clarifications as to what healthy biblical submission to your spiritual leaders looks like. Number one, here's the first thing I want to bring before you. You should expect your spiritual leaders to point you to an authority that's higher than their own. Right out of the box. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. Remember your leaders, comma, those who spoke to you the word of God. He leads out with the most important thing, as if these two things are synonymous. Leaders in the church should always be bringing to you the authority of God's word, the word of God. Not like, just do it because I say so. Why should I do it? I say so. It's what I think. We've had a meeting. We've all decided this. Oh, no, no, no. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. In other words, the most important thing your spiritual leaders can do is to point away from themselves and back to God's word. Back to God's word. Whether it's in teaching, preaching, counseling even. Sometimes that's an area where other churches have given it up and given it over to another model. We actually still do biblical counseling here. We're gonna use the Bible, not as a hood ornament or a piece of parsley on the side of the plate, where the Bible's on the desk or it's on the coffee table. We never opened it, but this is Christian counseling No, the Bible, we're using it in counseling. We're using it in teaching and preaching. We're using it in our encouragement. If you've ever received a card from me and I try to pray and write cards, oh man, I don't just say my own words of encouragement. What do I always include in that card? Scripture. Because I know God's word is what has power for encouragement. I'm encouraged that people still come up to me when they visit our church and are new I'm sure there's other people that roll out of here that say, I can't handle that. But the people that choose to stay will say to me, oh my goodness, you actually preached from the Bible for 50 minutes. You used the Bible here. Uh Uh-huh, we we think that's a good idea. Instead of an inspirational ditty with some killer stories, God's word will change your life. Not my ability to tell a killer story. God's word. We're, We're preaching from it, teaching from it, counseling from it, bringing encouragement from it, and seeking to set the priorities and mission and direction of the church from it. Instead of every fad that rolls through our culture, we jump on board. Everything, your spiritual leaders should just keep bringing it back to God's word, either in direct precept and command or in principle. Or in principle. What's God's word say? What do we see from God's word? How would God's word direct us. Those of you who know me well that have been around here for a while, then you know that for 23 years I've said, oh my goodness, do not do something just just because Pastor Brad says it. Well, Pastor Brad says so. That would grieve me. Or because the elders say so. God forbid. We're that church that has pushed you to actually examine the scriptures for yourself and see if what we're telling you lines up with God's word. Here's what I think is interesting. The Apostle Paul, of all people, right? Of all people, the Apostle Paul could have been that teacher preacher that just said, do it because I'm the Apostle Paul. Do you know who I am? Don't you realize I was caught up into the third heavens? I saw a revelation that no one else has seen. Oh my goodness, why would you question me? There's actually an example in the book of Acts as he went around planting churches and preaching and teaching this radical new message of resurrected Jesus He says he went into a city called Berea and when he taught and he preached and he was instructing them, 
It says they received the message with eagerness. And then a critical conjunction. And examined the scriptures every day to see if these things be so. And he was not offended. Instead, he commended them. He was not offended, and actually he lifts them up and says, oh my goodness, look at them. Be like them. Listen to what he says in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Now the Bereans of, were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. I try to practice this in my own life. If I love Tim Keller, if I hear him preach something, it's just, oh, wow, amazing. I read his books, Matt Chandler, there's a number, John Piper, there's a number of people, Elizabeth Elliot, people who have helped me. But I tell you what, as soon as I start to get excited, I have a second thought. Now, wait a minute. Is this really taught in scripture? And I check it out for myself. And when I see, yes, then I allow myself to get really excited. Folks, there are people that have an ability to communicate in a way that they can stir you all by themselves. But I know my life will only be changed. My life will only be solid. I will only move in the right direction, become more like Jesus, if what they're saying is clearly and solidly rooted in God's word. I don't allow myself to get excited until I see it for myself from scripture. And that's what we've pushed you to do. That's why we continue to say, think about it. Do I not say all the time? You gotta read the Bible. How much of it? Again, all of it. But here's what I want you to understand today in this message. Yes, we want you to read the Bible for yourself because you need more than just Sunday and more than a midweek in a community group. You need God's word every day to grow spiritually. But guess what? We also push you there so that you can hold your spiritual leaders in check. See, here's what we believe. God's spirit is in every believer. God gave his spirit to every believer so you can actually understand the Bible for yourself. That is very different. There was a dark day in church history that was not the best time for the church when the Bible literally, as a symbol, was chained to the pulpit in the church. And people were told, do not own a copy for yourself. Do not read it for yourself. You can't understand it. We'll read it. We'll tell you what you need to know. There are men who died that were burned at the stake because they thought the people should have it in their own tongue and they translated it. It, was, it rocked the world. What Martin Luther did in conjunction with the Guten, Gutenberg's printing press rocked the world and rocked the church. But it was right to put God's word in the hands of God's people. God intended, even when you think about it, in, in the New Testament, it's written in Koine Greek. That was a marketplace, very common Bottom shelf language. God intended for God's word to be read by God's people for themselves. And the other reason this is important is, yes, every spiritual leader also has God's spirit. Guess what they still also have? A sin nature that could go off the rails and begin to do something or say something or try to lead you somewhere that's not right. How are we gonna keep that from happening? I'll tell you how. Every person, members and leaders alike, reading God's word and submitting to it as our final authority. All together, this is what has final authority. God's word, God's word. So you should expect your spiritual leaders to just do a whole lot of pointing away from themselves to a higher authority than their own. Number two, 
Look at this. You should expect your spiritual leaders to say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. There is no place, there's no place for spiritual leaders in the church to say, oh, do what I say, not what I do. Oh, don't look at me. Oh, don't follow me. Don't do anything that I'm doing in my marriage. Don't do anything like what I'm doing with my money. Now, will they ever be perfect? Say it again. Say it like you've seen it for yourself. Yeah. But folks, even in a less than perfect way, spiritual leaders in the church are supposed to be willing to say, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not just studying the scriptures and trying to bring, Brad Bigney, God's word works me over and I have to process everything before I bring it to you. As I counsel other people, it's helpful for me to work through it and again, I examine my own life. It never ends that I'm not perfect, we're not perfect, but we should be changing and growing and people should not just say, oh man, he knows his Bible. I hope he knows his Bible. But he reminds me of Jesus. I see spiritual life and growth and fruit of the spirit and not perfection, but I see changing and growing in his own life, not just increasing knowledge of God's word. Even when a leader blows it, it's an opportunity to own it and show humility and ask forgiveness. If you've been here long enough, then you know there've been more than one occasion where I've come back to the church family and asked for forgiveness in all three services for saying something stupid or hurtful or whatever. And I only said it in one service because I saw the reaction, so I didn't do it again. But then you don't know who's coming back. I guess, you know, someone who heard it came to a different service. I have to say it to everybody, which is not a terrible thing. You don't have to model to everybody perfection. Even when you blow it, show them what that looks like. Changing and growing, follow me as I follow Christ. See, look at verse seven again. Not just those who bring you the word of God. Then he says, consider, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And that word consider, in the English, that kind of falls flat and just sounds superficial. Like, yeah, take a glance at that. It's actually a word in the Greek that means contemplate it. Look at it seriously. Look at their way of life. How do you see them in their marriages, conducting their marriage, treating their wife if they're married? How do you see them handling their money? How do you see them facing unemployment and cancer and trials and rebellious kids and a difficulty? See, here's the thing you need to understand. As soon as someone steps up and says, yes, I'm willing to serve as a leader, God does not put this amazing hedge of protection around them and say, thank you very much for your willingness to do that. I won't let anything bad happen to you. Guess what actually happens? There is an enemy. Satan cannot be everywhere at once. You know that passage in 1 Peter 5 that says Satan goes about as a roaring lion? If you look at it in context, don't hear me saying you can't apply it to yourself. Chapter 5 begins with, and to the elders. A word to the elders from Peter is for them to realize he's a roaring lion. And so often when you begin to shepherd and step up to spiritual leadership, you get hit harder not less. And then God isn't going to just protect you, not because he's a bad God, but people don't need to just hear you say what you say from God's word. They need to see how you respond to unemployment, how you respond to prostate cancer, 
how you respond when your kids don't all turn out how you wish, how you, that has a powerful. Is this real to them? Are they standing on God's word? Are they trusting God's word? Do they still have joy? Do they still follow him? Consider their way of life and imitate their faith. You should see your spiritual leaders trying to walk by faith, not by sight. You should see them increasing in Christ's likeness. See, here's the other thing I want you to realize. You heard it in that passage. Don't be jealous or thinking, I wish I was a spiritual leader. I would love one of those titles. Uh, what'd you hear in that passage? There is a greater accountability. You're gonna stand, don't hear me saying I don't want any more of you to serve, but please know, we will not just stand before God for our own lives. We also will stand before God accountable for yours. That's a very sobering thing that can keep you up a little bit. It says, as those who will have to give an account. We will be held more accountable, not less. That's why James says in James 3.1, let not many of you be teachers, my brethren. Oh, I love to teach the Bible. Really? Let not many of you be teachers, my brethren, for as such you will incur a stricter judgment. Because when you teach God's word, preach God's word, handle God's word, bring God's word, God expects your life to, to some measure to reflect the things that you're saying. Not perfectly, but to some measure reflect these things. So there's a greater accountability. That's why Paul said what he did to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Timothy, he's writing to him, watch. So in chapter 3, he gives him a list of qualifications for elders and deacons. And then in chapter 4, he says in verse 16, Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. It's both. We need more churches that would watch their doctrine. Please keep teaching what God's word says about everything. But he says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Your lives should also reflect these truths from God's word. And Paul himself modeled the same thing. Three times in his letters, twice to the Corinthians and once to the Philippians, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Join in following me, brethren, and imitate me as I follow Christ. Three times, he was not a perfect man either, but he knew I'm supposed to be going hard after God, following our Savior, seeking to apply these same biblical truths to my own life so I could say, follow me. So please know, here at Grace Fellowship, our church family, we choose leaders who, yes, know their Bible but also who love their Savior. And the truth of God's word is changing them. Please know this. Bible knowledge alone should never make you a spiritual leader in the church. One of the biggest mistakes that churches make, I'll back it up to a horrible mistake. Oh, this guy's a vice president at Citibank. He's a leader. Make him a church leader. Disastrous. Just because you're a leader in the community doesn't mean you should be a spiritual church leader unless you love Jesus and are becoming more like Jesus. But there's a second mistake churches make. Oh, he knows his Bible. Man, he can find Nahum without a tab. I mean, he gets there. Bam, Nahum. He knows his Bible. News alert. Is he mean? Is he arrogant? Could you know your Bible backwards and forwards and still be mean, arrogant, 
difficult, harsh, not much like Jesus? Yes. Then you're not supposed to be a leader. That Bible knowledge should be having an effect on you and changing you so that you're sweeter, kinder, humbler, more compassionate, more of a servant, in essence, more like Jesus. Because the fruit of God's spirit in conjunction with God's word is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Your leaders, you should expect your spiritual leaders to always be saying, an authority higher than their own. They're bringing you God's word, not their own opinion. You should expect them to be willing to say, follow me as I follow Christ, less than perfectly, but I am, I am in love with Jesus, not just doctrine. I, I'm not just looking for a place to exercise power. I love Jesus, and I want to shepherd his people with his word. And then and only then, when you've got those two things in place, now look at verse 17, where he says, you should be willing to trust and follow your spiritual leaders as they seek to care for your souls. Look at what he says in 17, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I want you to notice there are actually three commands in that one verse. Look at me. Obey your leaders, he says. Submit to your leaders and make it a joy for your leaders to shepherd you. Let's talk about each one of those. But before I do, I'm gonna talk about each of those three, but before I do, I wanna go ahead and say something that might be rumbling around in your mind right now because as soon as we hear words today like obey and submit, oh my goodness, our flesh begins to bow up and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Because we're living in a day that has made self-determination and personal autonomy of the highest value and greatest good. Anything that enhances my freedom to do what I want and make my own decisions is good. Anything that encumbers me to any degree from doing what I want is bad because self is king. Now I'd like to say that the spirit of the day has not crept into the church, but it wouldn't be true. And again, just like when I've taught on money, I'm not bringing you these messages this year because, oh, we got a major problem, just constant conflict, rebellious flock, and I'm here to spank you back into shape. We have a marvelous church family with wonderful trust and a wonderful relationship. I'm just teaching all of God's word, and it's interesting. If you'll teach all of God's word, you'll find places where you're like, whoa, we're gonna have to hang on to that because that's not what everyone's thinking because even many Christians are watching more television and reading more blogs than they are God's word. So we need to hear God's word Again, what it is actually saying, even if it's culturally outrageous and way out of step with where our culture is. And see, here's what I think is interesting. God knows that because leaders are sinners, that this could go off the rails. Yes, that could happen. Can earthly leaders abuse their power and authority, whether in government, workplace, church, home, Every day in the news, we see it, right? But here's what I wanna say to you. I've said it before, but it's worth saying right here. Just because something can be abused 
does not mean it should be abolished. You got to hold on to what God's word says and redeem it and work it in the way he intended to work it. The answer is not, woo, we're done with that. We're done with that. We're done with that. Nope. Nope. So let's talk about what it actually means to obey, submit, and make it a joy. What would it mean to obey your spiritual leaders? Well, the Greek word for obey right there in verse 17 is the word peph. And it's a word that means to be persuaded by someone or to trust someone or to rely on someone. So that's why the word gets translated obey because when you're persuaded and when you begin to rely on someone, you follow them. So when they say not that way, this way. Don't think that, think this. Here's what God's word says. You'll go with it. In a a very real sense, it's a soft word for obey. It's not a heavy-handed, top-down. It's a soft word for obey because it encourages a relationship of trust, but it still calls people to be swayed by their leaders and to be willing to follow leaders as they show them from God's word. Now, what about the word submit? Well, that word for submit is a Greek word that's only used this time. In all of scripture, it's the only time this word is used. And it's actually a word that means to make place for or to yield. To make place for or to yield by submitting. And so when you put these two words together, the tone and posture of these words together could be communicated like this. Have a bent towards trusting them. Have a disposition towards supporting them as well as an inclination to yield and comply with their guidance when they show you from God's word. So it's not top down just because I said so. In other words, these phrases, I think, capture both sides of the biblical truth, right? That elders, spiritual leaders, are fallible and could be guilty of lording it over the flock and... That the flock should not have. Here's what I see. I don't see it in our church, but it's kind of pervasive in our culture. And that the flock should not have a default setting of suspicion and resistance to their leaders. My first thing that God calls me to do is suspect. Think the worst. And resist. And finally, after hours of meetings, give in as a last resort. Don't ever. Don't make it easy. Don't make it easy. That's not the spirit of what you see. We're not to lord it over you. And the flock is not to have a default setting of suspicion and resistance, but should be ready and willing to follow godly leadership that's in line with God's word. And sometimes the things that we're talking about and doing are clear precepts and commands, and other times it's based on principle. The Bible doesn't say anything about vacation Bible school, so we're not gonna solve whether to have one or not with Bible verses. So sometimes there's things that you're doing and deciding and talking about that it's not gonna be found or solved by a Bible verse, but he calls you to trust because more can be accomplished as we all get on the same page and seek to say, even like with our church, a number of churches do a number of things and it doesn't mean that it's a sin because our church isn't doing what they're doing, but we have spiritual leaders who've said, we think this is what God would have us focus on. He doesn't intend Grace Fellowship to do everything. The church of Jesus Christ is bigger than Grace Fellowship. But what if we said, here's where we think God's calling us. Here's what God's calling us to do. We've made a decision on missions, for instance, to focus far more on the unengaged, unreached, and Bible translation, church planting, and showing 
national pastors how to use God's word to counsel people than puppet ministry in the street. It doesn't mean it's wrong, the churches that send teams over to do puppets relentlessly in the streets in evangelism. But we figure there's all kinds of people doing that. Those in these countries, Albania, Japan, you name it, they're saying, oh my goodness, this is helpful. We have alcoholism. We have people beating their wives. We have people depressed. We have people cutting themselves. And we don't know how to use the Bible to help real people with real problems. So our church is focused in missions in a very different way. So don't get your feelings hurt when your aunt goes to Poland to do puppets and we won't support her. It's like we can't give money to every single person that leaves. We're trying to focus our priorities and direction and mission, what we think God has called us to do. And so he says, be persuaded. Make this a working relationship. And again, I hope you hear how this verse 17 is not a heavy-handed, top-down authoritarianism, but a humble, loving, coming alongside with God's word, persuading Follow, follow me as I follow Christ. And please know the Bible's not unaware of the potential for spiritual leaders to abuse their power and authority. That's why First Peter, Peter says what he does in chapter five. Turn there with me to First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five, which again is gonna prove my point that there were leaders. In chapter five, he begins to speak directly to the leaders of that church. Look at what he says. First Peter five. So I exhort the elders... Among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Oh, listen to this. Not domineering over those in your charge, but, here it is again, but being examples to the flock. And then he points us away from any earthly leader to our real shepherd. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And then look at this word to everybody, whether member or leader. And clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But now let me remind you and kind of unpack a little. What about that third command? Why in the world is that there? Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. In other words, that third command is make it a joy for your shepherds to shepherd you. And please know this. Paul hasn't switched now and he's been so stung. He's been so hurt. If you read all his letters, you know he's been hurt by churches. You know he's been disappointed. But that's not what he's doing right now. He's still saying this because of his care for the flock and the people. Because notice that last phrase, for that would be of no advantage to you. He's still concerned about them, not himself. And so here's what I think he is saying. Just like God anticipates the potential that spiritual leaders could abuse their power, so he says, don't, don't domineer. He also anticipates our sinful tendency to push back against those who are trying to shepherd us, those who are trying to help us and making it difficult. And in other words, he's saying, if you're that sheep that makes it so hard to shepherd you, you're the loser. You're, you're not ahead, you're behind. You're not in a better place, you're at risk. And, and here's what I don't want you to hear. To make it a joy for us, don't hear me saying, so you know how we could be joyful about you? Just don't have a problem. Do not email, do not call, don't ask for help. Oh, I'm joyful. L listen to me. 
That is not it at all. You can have a problem and you can have a need. That's why you have shepherds. We know that's our job. Trust me, after 32 years of this, let me tell you what makes a shepherd groan. It is not when someone has a problem. Because I'll tell you, one of the greatest joys is to come in and get down in there with someone and use God's word and pray and fast and cry out and watch God break through. It's one of my greatest joys to see God work at close range. When I'm preaching and teaching, I have a great joy. But when you get down in the ditch with someone and you see God's word and God's spirit work in real time, oh my goodness, that just fires me up. So it's not that you can't have a problem and you can't have a need. Let me tell you what makes shepherds groan. Here's what I think is interesting. The Greek word for groan right there is a word that means to sigh internally. Oh, filled with sorrow and grief. Here it is. When a shepherd comes alongside you, and now get this in mind. Our church family is big enough that you need to realize It's likely that many of you will never be personally shepherded by one of the elders. There's 10 of us. We can never get it all done. So community group leaders and biblical counselors are an extension of the elders' shepherding care. So now hear this. When you're that sheep who's in trouble, about to divorce your wife or your husband unbiblically, or you're really struggling and you're stuck and you're, and they come with God's word and they spend time with you and they listen and they pray and they ask questions And you still just keep saying, yeah, but here's what I've always thought. Here's what I feel. And if I feel it, it's fact. What I feel is real. I don't care what God's word says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is so exhausting. That's what makes us say, oh, God of the heavens, help me. Because we got nothing else. We got nothing else. Because think about this. I know it's not what you think or what you feel. Otherwise, you wouldn't be where you are. You know, when you say, well, I've never thought that way. Yeah, it's time to start thinking that way. That's not what I feel. Well, go with what God's word says, not what you feel. Is that hard? Oh, yeah. But that's what wears shepherds out. Because then also sometimes people keep saying, oh, this is so hard. Oh, it's so hard. Oh, it's yes, and it will keep being so hard until you submit to God's word and head down a new path that may feel so odd and strange to you. But we're not just shouting at you, do this. Let me know how that works out. We're walking with you, with you, with you. What makes shepherds groan is when the sheep just keep doing what they think and what they feel and will not respond to God's word. Some of my great, hey, hear me. Some of my greatest joys and the people that I love the most, sorry, because I just, I know them, are people that I helped with God's word. Oh my goodness, and they're still here and now they're serving and when I see them, I think, oh my goodness, what God did that breakthrough, where their marriage is now, where their home is now, where their heart is now, where their life is now. Woo! And and the ones that just never would respond. Now that I'm over 50, it's like when I go to use the bathroom between 2.30 and 3, every morning, God bless me, when I come back to bed, that's the trouble time. And I begin to think, what's going to happen with them? Oh, they have little kids. Oh, the fallout. Oh, the consequences. But they won't do. I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to pray. I don't know who else to send to them. I don't. That's what makes shepherds groan. Make it a joy for them. 
by responding to God's word, by submitting to God's word, by saying, oh, this will be hard. This is not what I've ever done before. Help me, walk with me. I'm willing to try to change. Great joy. But now before I conclude, let me answer that question that you might be thinking. Even though I've said they point to authority higher than their own, they say, follow me as I follow Christ, but it's still, to to a degree, you think, but how do I submit and trust to earthly, less than perfect leaders? He answers that in this chapter. See, my final point today is you can only trust and submit to your earthly shepherds after you're trusting in the ultimate work of your great shepherd, Jesus. Very often what's behind someone who just won't trust or follow any other spiritual leader is if the truth were to be known, they don't really trust God. That's the bigger problem. Not, and so it's interesting to me that in a chapter, for 12 chapters, he has given us Jesus, 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 is better, 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 better. And in this chapter, he pointed them to their spiritual earthly leaders because he knew he wasn't gonna see them again. And so he knows what they might be thinking. And that's why all through this chapter, these are not places where he lost his train of thought. All through this chapter, you'll see him bring Jesus. Jesus. The very first time he points them to their spiritual leaders in verse seven, look at it. Remember your leaders, those who spoke through it. The very next verse, verse eight, it's not a random thought. He brings it back to Jesus, says Jesus Christ, because you're probably thinking to yourself, yeah, but they come and go, they change. We don't always have the same. Uh Uh-huh, Jesus doesn't change. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. Verse 12, when he takes them outside the gate and talks about Jesus who shed his own blood, He lifts up what the great shepherd has done that no earthly shepherd can do for you. We're coming alongside trying to help you with these earthly trials and spiritual growth. But Jesus went outside the gate and gave his life to solve your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is not financial or fear or kids or marriage or job. Your biggest problem was you were separated from a holy God and on your way to hell. And the great shepherd Jesus changed that forever by the blood of the eternal covenant never needs to be repeated, cannot be taken away from you. You're on your way to heaven. And then, I think it's interesting, often biblical writers will stick the landing with a doxology of praise or a benediction. But when he does in verse 20 and 21, it is all about Jesus. And for the first time, He calls him shepherd. He has called Jesus by many titles and accolades all through this letter. Not once did he call him shepherd, and now he does because he's been talking about earthly shepherds, and he doesn't want to leave you thinking about your earthly shepherds. He wants to leave you thinking about the great shepherd. Look at it in verse 20 and 21. Look at how he sticks the landing. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. In the Greek, that word great is mega. Yeah, we got little earthly, earthly shepherds and then there's the mega shepherd. There is only one mega shepherd. That great shepherd of, and then there's two things he brings in that doxology. It says, he will equip you. Oh, we're coming alongside you folks. We're trying to do what we can through biblical counseling, community groups, and one-on-one But folks, that word equip is the Greek word katartizo that means to set a broken bone in place or to put what is out of joint back into place. 
the great shepherd is setting broken bones. When you get saved, is everything that was broken in your life fixed automatically? And so he, the great shepherd, is setting broken bones. But part of how he does that is through counsel and help and encouragement and God's word. But he wants to set some broken bones in your life and put back in place. And it'll be a lifetime. And you may still limp a little bit even after that bone heals. But his intent is to equip you, make you complete, set some broken bones. And then I love it. He says, working in us. And switches the pronoun so that it's not, oh, he's working in you people. Spiritual leaders have already arrived. Oh, no, no. He's working in all of us. Earthly shepherds can come along outside. He's the only one that can work from the inside out. He's working in all of us from the inside out. And he's committing us. He's committed to getting us where he wants us to be. To growing us and changing us and leading us to become more like him. So as we close, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm, I'm not wanting you to think about church membership. Oh, I guess I need to join a church this year. That'll make my life better. I want you to think about the great shepherd who gave his life for you. Do you know Jesus? Have you submitted your life to that great shepherd? The Bible teaches us that we're all born sinners wandering without a shepherd making the calls ourselves, deciding what we want to do, and it's a mess. Do you have the great shepherd loving you, leading you, guiding you, setting broken bones, putting back into place what is out of joint? Oh, come to Christ today. Come to Jesus, Jesus. Ask God for mercy. You, you can do this simply by just right where you sit, Believing that Jesus is who he says he is and did what the scriptures say he did. Gave his life in payment for the sheep. There's a flock he's calling to himself. You can be a part of that flock today. Today. Say, oh God, I'm ready to have a shepherd in my life leading me, loving me. And then I would encourage you to join a local fellowship of other people who've said, you too, me too. I desperately needed a shepherd. We got the same shepherd. We have the same desire to become more like him. Let's do this thing together. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Lord, thank you for direct access to your throne. And thank you for giving us each other, the body of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in us from the inside out and that you would continue to set broken bones and to realign things that are out of place and oh would you continue to make us a church that's not perfect but demonstrates the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ with people and leaders all reading God's word and submitted to God's word as our highest authority and people and leaders together fixing their eyes on Jesus and growing and changing to become more like him. Use this church family to impact our community and our world by your grace and for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name.